0: It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Welcome to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. Well, today I had the opportunity to speak with Mark Kennedy Shriver. Mark has a tremendous amount of leadership experience. He has served as a member of the Maryland House of Delegates for two consecutive terms, from 1995 to 2003. And since 2014, he has served as president of Save the Children Action Network, as well as serving as senior vice president of U.S. programs and advocacy for Save the Children. Now, Save the Children is an international nonprofit that does whatever it takes every day and in times of crisis to ensure children grow up healthy, learning, and safe. I asked Mark about his experiences over the years, leading both in the government sector and the nonprofit sector, and why he has dedicated his life to the cause of serving children in poverty. Enjoy today's show. Thanks, Mark, for being on the show today. You've had a very fascinating career. You've served in the Maryland House of Delegates for eight years. You've also been involved with social justice causes for years now. Well, how did you get first involved with Save the Children, and what led you to choose this nonprofit over others?
1: Well, thanks for having me on, Rob. Really appreciate it. Um, I started at Save the Children in January of 2003. If you can believe that, it was uh, it's, it seems like yesterday, and time flies by, but. Essentially, I had, uh, as you mentioned, worked in the legislature in Maryland for eight years. I was an elected state rep in the House of Delegates, and then I ran for the United States Congress in 2002 and lost by a couple thousand votes to a man who's now the U.S. Senator from Maryland, uh, Chris Van Hollen, who's a pal of mine, and is doing a great job. And after uh, the election, it was the you know big race of the year. It was the biggest race for the Washington Post, so it got a lot of national attention and focus here in the D.C. market, and Save the Children has one of its big offices here in D.C., and the CEO um, had seen and heard about the race and reached out after the election, and I had run a nonprofit in Baltimore working with juvenile delinquent kids for a number of years, been in the state legislature, and they were looking for someone to come in and really redo their work here in the United States, although Save the Children had been in the U.S. for decades. They had not grown domestically as much as they had hoped to and to have an, as much of an impact for children and families in this country um, as they had internationally. Uh, so I wanted to, uh, you know, check it out and had a great conversations with them. And clearly they were looking to have a national footprint to, to make a difference in poor uh, communities all across America, in rural America. And I've worked in urban settings in in Baltimore City and in Prince George's County, which is just outside of Washington, D.C., um, and I wanted to really focus on young kids. Uh, I've worked with juvenile delinquents who are, you know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, up to you know, sixteen, seventeen years of age. But the focus I really wanted to do is to try early childhood education. That was critical first five to eight years of life, and that's where say, the Children was also interested in going. So I joined in January of 8 of and I've had a wonderful experience here for the last whatever that is sixteen years, um, growing the programs uh, here in the U.S to a home visiting program for little children and their parents um, in school, after school, and summer literacy programs for kids up through third, fourth grade. Um, A a program that works for uh, ensuring the safety of kids before, during, and after emergencies. So we really focus on emergency preparedness, response, and recovery. And then we also run uh, Head Start programs now in poor rural America. Um, you know, for kids that are between the ages of zero to five. So it's been a wonderful experience. It's a great organization. Save the Children is doing wonderful work here in the United States and all around the world. So I'm really honored to be working with them.
0: Now, thanks for that. And for my listeners who don't know much about the origins of Save the Children, perhaps give us a brief overview of the history of Save the Children. Who started it and why was it started?
1: A woman named Eglatine Jeb started it 100 years ago this year. you know, so literally in uh, 1919, uh, she started it in England, uh, after World War I. Um, and a branch of it, you essentially say the children in the U.S. started, uh, in the 1930s in Appalachia to help children, uh, that were starving as a result of the depression. Uh, so we've been in Kentucky, uh, since the 30s. Um, the work we did there was the precursor of the federal uh, school lunch program. Uh, we were feeding kids, and then the federal government stepped in and started feeding kids and obviously is providing uh, breakfast and lunch for children living in poverty in this country uh, up until this day. And SAVE has been working in the U.S. since then. Um, and it's really, uh, with an organization, uh, like the time Jeb started, we focused on the rights of children, uh, making sure children have access to a safe and vibrant childhood. And we have grown that uh, mission here in the United States to focus on health, on education, uh, and on safety, both before, during, and after responses. So, you know, in the U.S., uh, first responders haven't focused traditionally on the specific and unique needs of children. So we've spent, since Katrina, a lot of time and effort making sure that children's needs, which are not the same as adults, that those needs are addressed in the planning and preparation um, for disaster response, then during the actual response itself, and then in the long-term recovery, rebuilding child care centers. Uh, which we've done over a 1,000 of them down in Houston after that terrible hurricane hit a couple of years ago. Um So Save the Children has this long 100-year history all around the world, started in England, been in the United States since the 30s, uh, focused on the needs of children uh, to a safe and vibrant childhood and making sure that they're taken care of before, during, and after disasters, both man-made and natural disasters
0: what's really impressive to see how Save the Children has grown tremendously over the last 100 years. I mean, today you reach millions of kids through your organization throughout the world. So what, in your opinion, has led to the great success of Save the Children and perhaps things that other nonprofits can learn from?
1: Well, I think we're doing great work. Uh, The results are very strong. You know, I I meet with governors and leaders of state legislatures all the time because we build public-private partnerships. We ask the state federal local governments to contribute because we think it's part of their responsibility but we also ask um nonprofits and uh, you know foundations and businesses and individuals to contribute too because we believe in a public-private partnership and we believe in broad uh, basis support and the results have got to be strong or else you know smart people don't want to invest in programs that aren't having an impact so i think we're very focused on results. I've said to countless governors, if we're doing good for your kids and families, we want to grow. If we're not, you should fire us. You should cut our funding. Um, and you know, I think that type of very strong results oriented accountability, um, instills confidence in investors, whether those investors are the public sector or whether they're the private sector. Um, I think also hiring great folks, uh, and being committed to the cause is really important. But I gotta be honest with you, Rob, we're doing great work, but we're still, you know, barely scratching the surface of what should be done in, in the United States and around the world on behalf of kids. So many politicians, so many politicians say children are our most important resource. We need to invest in our children. Uh, when push comes to shove, they don't put their uh, resources of the federal government, the state or local governments into those words. Um, you know, it's a kind of what we call the bobblehead syndrome, where people are bobbing their heads, elected leaders are bobbing their heads saying, yes, you're doing God's work. You're doing great work. And then when push comes to shove, they don't put the money where their mouth is. So we're trying to build a movement of people all across America who care about children's issues, who care about kids, and are demanding that our political leaders invest in children and invest in cost-efficient, effective programs. Um, You know, Head Start, which has got great results across the country. Some Head Start programs don't do, aren't achieving good results. They should be defunded. But the overwhelming majority of them are doing great work, yet they're funded by the federal government to reach less than 50% of the eligible kids. So that means more than one in two children in this country who could benefit from Head Start services aren't getting it. Early Head Start, which is dealing with, you know, young infants up to the age of three, it's reaching less than 5% of the kids that are eligible for it. So as a country, you know, we're not investing in our children. Uh, we're not investing on a federal level, state, or local level to the degree that we should. To Save the Children is doing great work across the world and here in the U.S. We're growing. It's a good story, but it's really scratching the surface. And what we need to do is not only continue to deliver those services, Bob, but what we need to do is create a movement of people um, that won't, vote for elected leaders unless they invest in our kids and we need a movement of people that care as much about you know gun control or the environment or israel or gay rights or whatever the cause is we need them to care as much or more about children uh, and we don't have that movement today we don't have the aarp for children the nra for children you know the national um Restaurant Association, which has huge influence, or the National Rifle Association, or the Sierra Club. These are all movements that have a lot of political energy behind them, but what's doing that for children? And that's what Save the Children is uh, building up right now. We have over 300,000 volunteers on our uh, action network, Save the Children Action Network, but we need that times 10. We need 3 million, at least, uh, people out there really pushing for children's
0: needs. Well, Mark, thanks so much for your passion. It's really clear that you are passionate about what you do. And one of the things I've talked about with our other guests on my show is the intersection between government and nonprofits. And you have a unique background because you've worked for the government and you have so many connections in the government sphere. I think we both would agree that challenges we are facing are so large and so challenging that just as you mentioned before about the challenges facing our children, these issues are so large and complex that government agencies can't solve these alone and neither can nonprofits solve these on their own. We need to work together. We need to work collaboratively. So one of the things you do internationally as well as nationally is you very often come alongside and collaborate directly with governments in the countries where you work, as well as other nonprofits and NGOs. How do you pursue these partnerships? And perhaps for listeners of the show that are trying to figure out how to navigate through government relationships, how do you steward these relationships? How do you pursue them? And what have been some of the results of your collaborative efforts over the years? Well,
1: it's a great question, Rob. I mean, you know, it's it's got to be a conscious part of the way we operate, and it is a a really conscious effort to create partnerships. I mentioned a couple minutes ago about funding, that we believe in public-private partnerships that, um, you know, if we're working, say, in Arkansas, we believe that the Arkansas state government should contribute to our work educating kids in poor rural Arkansas, but we should also try to get national foundations, national corporations to partner with us. We ought to get uh, state and local uh, foundations and businesses in Arkansas to also contribute uh, so that uh, the bill, so to speak, is not being paid for solely by one entity. But if we build this broad base of support and we work with partners on the ground, the school system, uh, local nonprofits uh, in the communities where we work, it'll be stronger, it'll build, it'll create a stronger community um, it will come from the community, um, the solutions and the work. To so save the children, for instance, we, we don't go and hire you know young college graduates to go spend a year in Arkansas and then leave. We hire people in Arkansas who are from those communities, train them up. They work in the communities with people they know in the communities, uh, and it's building the infrastructure, the human capital infrastructure in those communities. Uh, but it has to be a deliberate, conscious choice to reach out and partner because, honestly, you know this. You know partnerships are hard. Uh, people have different agendas, and you know sometimes people work at different speeds. Um, and, but you know there's that old saying attributed, I, I believe, some you know to an African proverb, and I'm going to butcher it. But if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go further, go together. Um, and I think you really got to, if you want to go further, you got to work in partnership with businesses again, with businesses, with, uh, foundations, with, uh, state governments and those, those can be hard partnerships to build, but you got to really work at it and you cannot give up Do not give up. Just got to keep pushing in gently, politely, but firmly, um, uh, for the cause, uh, because in many cases, if you're working with poor children, you know, poor kids don't vote. Uh, they don't give political contributions. They don't have power. Um, and their families, you know, generally almost every time don't have a lot of political power either. So you've got to build a small, dedicated army that's willing to, you know, keep pushing uh, on these efforts. There's that old Margaret Mead line, you know, and I'm going to butcher this one. But it's, you know, never doubt the power of a few committed people to change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever does. So I think, you know, that's part of the attitude at Save the Children here. We want to work in partnership. We want to work with the local folks to identify what needs to be done, then work with them. Uh, We want to work with public entities and private entities. I mean, I think Bill Gates found this out after a number of years where he, Was spending a lot of money, Gates Foundation money, and realized that the only way to make long-term systemic change was to leverage the resources of the government uh, with some of his entrepreneurial foundation money in order to um, to affect some change. But by himself, even you know the richest guy in the world couldn't couldn't do it. He needed to build those partnerships. If you look, uh, Rahabed, you know, Bill Gates got a lot of money, but you know, a state the size of Maryland's budget. You know uh Bill Gates could fund the Maryland budget by himself for a couple of years, and then he'd be out of money, so you know he's got a lot of money, but the state of Maryland budget is is whatever thirty five billion dollars that's Bill Gates's you know fortune in a couple of years, so he's got a lot of money, but the state governments, local governments uh you know national governments just have huge resources that if they're well spent um uh, and spent on people can make a huge impact in people's lives.
0: Well, that's a great point about Bill Gates. I mean, as much money as he has, if you applied it to the state of Maryland, he'd be out of money in a couple of years. So interesting perspective there. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit because some of my listeners may have read about this or heard about this. Um, and I learned about this that a couple of years ago, there was a big shakeup with some of the top leadership of this organization over allegations of inappropriate conduct. I'm curious, what has been the result of this and what has Save the children done to remedy this? Perhaps you could speak to that.
1: When you look across the Save the Children movement, there are, uh, you know, there's the Save the Children UK, there's the Save the Children Japan, there's the Save the Children USA. They all have the same brand name, but they're different organizations. They have different CEOs, different boards of directors. We work, uh, you know, very closely together, um, but some of our partner organizations uh, definitely had issues of sexual harassment uh, in the leadership um, and I think the bottom line is that we have all learned um, that 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 obviously is not acceptable. Uh, the people that were responsible for that have left the organization, um, and I think there's there's a lot more transparency and conversation as there is, I think, all across America on the issue of sexual harassment. Um, and I think we've we've created a better uh, work environment here in the U.S in other Save the Children organizations across the world. Do we have more work to do? Yes. Do I think most organizations do? Yes. Uh, is the issue of sexual harassment still relevant in our, you know, society? Absolutely. Um, you know, should we be doing more? I think the answer to that is is yes as well. Um, but I think we've taken very strong steps uh, on pay equity on uh safe and and uh inclusive workplaces but i think there's a lot that we need to continue to look to to study and to to learn from
0: Hey everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Show. If this is your first time listening to us, i wanted to make sure you were aware of a whole group of other interviews with fascinating guests that i've previously interviewed Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and there you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I think you'll really enjoy those interviews. We want to give you more content, and we'd like to get that information to you. And all you have to do is give us your email. When you go to that website, you can put your email address in that first box you'll see on the front page, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. In addition to some great content, you'll see the latest uh, podcast shows that will be actually sent right you your inbox. And that way you'll never miss any of the great content on this show. The other thing I'll mention to you is if you have questions or comments or you'd like to be on the show, do not hesitate to email me. I'd love to hear from you. Just do that through our website, my email, rob at ccofpc.org. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Well, we are sponsored by Cinch Web Services, your best choice for WordPress support. We have a special offer for those who listen to this show. First of all, Cinch is the best choice you can make for WordPress and WooCommerce support. They are experts at solving all sorts of website issues, from big problems like fixing a completely broken site, to their tiniest of details that are stumping you. Cinch offers an ongoing support plan starting at $99 a month, which covers all mandatory website maintenance tasks, plus 30-minute fixes for free. I personally use Cinch for my websites, and I can say that support and expertise that I've received from them is top notch. They're great to work with, and I no longer need to worry about the health or status of our websites because Cinch is there for us. Ascension knows that most nonprofits do not have an in-house support team. So when problems arise, the last thing an executive director wants to do is be troubleshooting issues that are not in his or her wheelhouse, taking up valuable time that all EDs have very little of. So rather than relying on staff or untrained volunteers, let the WordPress experts at Cinch. Put your mind at ease and handle all your website troubles, maintenance, and tech needs. Now here's the best part. As I said before, you can get 50% off your first month of support at cinchws.com slash nonprofit leadership. And just use the promo code leadership during checkout. Once again, that's cinchws.com slash nonprofit leadership and use the promo code leadership for 50% off your first month of support. We want to thank Cinch for sponsoring our show and for being a reliable support team we can trust. For those just tuning into the show, my guest today is Mark Kennedy Shriver. I'm talking with Mark about his experiences over the years, leading both in the government sector and the nonprofit sector, and why he has dedicated his life to the cause of serving children in poverty. Well, I really appreciate your candid answer on that, and um, it's good to get an update on what Save the Children has done and continues to do to make sure it's a safe working environment. It's definitely important.
1: I mean, if you're not safe in the work environment, um, you know, it's what I say to my team all the time. We've got to make sure uh, that kids uh, are safe in our care uh, because if they're being abused and neglected and we're not addressing that up front, uh, then we shouldn't be in business. We should all be fired. Uh, and the same is true about making sure that all employees feel valued uh, and engaged and safe. And if they're not, then, you know, you should get out of the business.
0: Well, it's clear that you have been a committed advocate for the rights of children, particularly those struggling with poverty and living in underserved areas. I mean, this is a big passion of yours. And so my question is, why is this work so compelling for you? I mean, you could do a lot of things with your life. You could choose a lot of different career paths, but you've decided to invest in kids, specifically kids in poverty. So what has motivated you to invest your time and talents into serving kids in poverty?
1: Well, I think, Rob, I mean, the, the thing for me, it's the early childhood education, you know, so when you look at it, uh, you know, 90% of brain growth happens in the first five years of life, right? So you have this amazing brain growth in the first five years of, of existence. And a poor kid is so far behind by the age of four compared to a child that's not living in poverty that we spend billions of dollars trying to remediate. And get that kid up to grade level. And in many, many cases, it's, it's not gonna work. So you have this statistic that 90% of the brain growth happens in the first five years of life, yet by the age of four, by the age of four, a kid living in poverty is 18 months behind a child who's not living in poverty. Socially, emotionally, cognitively. By the age of four, a kid in poverty is 18 months behind a kid who doesn't live in poverty. So, You know, our children when they were four were that much ahead of kids that are living in poverty. And I just think, you know, from an economic argument, the the amount of money we invest up front, if we invested more dollars up front, we wouldn't be spending money on the back end. We wouldn't, uh, we'd have more kids in the workforce, in the military, kids making contributions to our uh, greater society than being involved in drugs and alcohol or criminal activity or teen pregnancy. Um, so I think it's a great, it's a huge economic issue for the United States and it's a huge social justice issue. I mean, I think, you know, we talk about all sorts of other issues about kids dropping out of high school and so forth. If we invested early, we wouldn't have those kids wanting to drop out of high school because they'd be entering kindergarten ready to learn. They'd be flourishing in first, second and third grade. They'd be doing well in middle school and in high school and then they could pursue an undergraduate degree, they could go to technical school, they could go to the military, they could pursue whatever dream they have. But if they're not entering kindergarten ready to learn, they're gonna struggle in kindergarten, they're gonna struggle in first grade, they're gonna get in trouble because they're not reading and learning like the other kids. They're gonna end up in special education. They're gonna end up, you know, dropping out. So it's just it's like as a country if we if we, you know, really believed in our children and we believed that poor kids could be as Pursue whatever their dreams are and be successful, then we would invest early. We wouldn't be, you know, bobbing our heads as political leaders and saying, yeah, this is great and then not doing anything about it. But the bottom line is poor kids and their families, as I said earlier, they don't vote and they don't give political contributions. So they get forgotten. They get ignored. Uh, they get, you know, uh, pushed to the, to the outskirts of society. As Pope Francis talks about, you know, reaching out to the excluded. Uh, and these are people on the fringes of society. It's what Ignatius of Loyola talked about, you know, go out to the to the to the edges of society and include those people. And you see that in all the great faith traditions, you know, uh, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, all talk about repairing the world. Tikkun Olam to repair the world in Judaism. And uh, you know, the people that are on the fringes the most are poor people. And their poor children are, you know, the most excluded. So we ought to, you know, stop talking about how we care about poor kids and kids in our country and start investing and put our money where our mouth is. So it's a great issue from an economic perspective. And it's a great issue from a social justice perspective. It's an, when I say great, I mean it's an issue that needs our attention and doesn't get it enough.
0: Well, the fact is, Mark, I mean, you have committed your life to community service, both when you served in government, as well as in your various nonprofit leadership roles. And in so doing, you've sought to tackle some of our nation's and world's biggest challenges. So I wanted to ask a question geared towards this next generation coming up, the millennials. I have many of them on listening to my show. And as as they are coming of age and choosing career paths, what advice would you give them in terms of how and where they invest their time and talents based on your own experience?
1: I think, uh, you know, to me, I think you, as folks who are trying to figure out what if, you know, what they can do, they ought to pursue whatever they're passionate about. I think if, you know, the environment and the what's happening to our environment, which is, you know, disgraceful, gets you fired up, get out of bed and go work on that issue, you know, restoring streams or rivers or, uh, you know, forests, whatever it is on the environment, if that's what makes you You know, excited about it. I'm sitting in my office. I'm punching my hand. You know, if that gives you the energy, then go work in that. If it's young children, go do that. If it's dealing with uh, our elderly, our senior citizens, uh, and the lack of connection they have in our community, go work on that. If it's, you know, doing research and you're a scientist and you can figure the cure for Alzheimer's, you know, God be with you because that's ravaging millions of families, uh, you know, ravaged our family um and it's debilitating financially as well as emotionally and spiritually it's really really draining so if you you know are a medical person and you want to go do research and you can and you're interested in that you know as i said it's going to be you're going to make a profound difference in people's lives i also think that you know look the people that are creating jobs are creating a huge opportunity for families um, you know, there seems to be, a, in my mind, anyways, this conflict between people who want to do quote non-profit or, you know, service work, and people in the for-profit business world. I don't buy that. I mean, I think if you're running a business and you hire ten people or a thousand people, and those are high-quality, good jobs, those are a thousand families you're impacting every day. So, you know, if you want to, if you're, if you want to make a lot of money and be a biz businessman or businesswoman, go for it. Pay your employees well. Give them opportunities to make money too. And that will impact their families in the communities where they live. And that's good. That's really good. I mean, we do a lot of work with businesses and if they're making money and they're helping save the children, it's all good. I'm all for that. Um, you know, it has to be compassionate. You have to, you know, pay a living wage and, Make sure there's opportunity and value for your employees. But if that's the setup, there's some fantastic business leaders in this country. Tom Murphy created ABC Cap Cities. It's on, say, the Children's Board. Huge, you know, uh, company he created. Really, out of nothing, he's a wonderful man. and he's high-paying jobs and helping families all across the country by giving them an opportunity to, to work and do good work. It's great.
0: Well, my guest again today has been Mark Kennedy Shriver. I've been talking to Mark about his experiences over the years, leading both in the government sector and the nonprofit sector, and why he has dedicated his life to the cause of serving children in poverty. Well, Mark, thanks so much for being on the show again. For my listeners, where can they go to find out more about you and more about Save the Children?
1: Uh, They can find out about Save the Children and Save the Children Action Network, which again is our grassroots movement to... Uh, really bring forth the issues of children in this country and around the world. We need people at SaveTheChildrenActionNetwork.org. Sign up, uh, get involved, lend your voice through town hall meetings, through emails, through letters to the editor. We're trying to build an army of people uh, in Utah, in, ev- in all 50 states, all across the country, Rob. And it's SaveTheChildrenActionNetwork.org, or you can go to The Mothership, where we deliver great services, SaveTheChildren.org. All of our work here in the U.S. uh, is, is great, and our work
0: internationally is wonderful as well. Well, thanks so much for investing your time with us today and for all that you do. Thanks for having me on, Robert. Really appreciate it. making your world better.